Good morning, Real Life. My name is Justin Jordan. I'm the lead minister here, and so glad that you've been able to get here to worship this morning. And for those of you that haven't been able to, thank you for joining us online. Uh, I wanted to start off by uh, telling you, men's retreat was amazing. Would you guys agree? They went, yeah. It was awesome, and it's been really cool to come home and just hear about not only what God did while we were up there, but in addition to that, all the things that God is starting to birth in the hearts of men about what ministry looks like in our church and in this community. Um, it's continued on in the lobby this morning, and um, uh, relationships are never going to be the same moving forward. And so I'm thankful for God and the work that he did on that trip and is going to continue to do. Um, and ice fishing was amazing, okay? <laughs> It was amazing. So uh, when you go on a men's retreat, you got to do something difficult. So that was just one of many things that we did that was difficult. Um, we started a new sermon series last week called Looking Up. It's a series that's going through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, and if you've been in the church any amount of time, you might be like, man, I've never even really heard this before. It's not really preached on a whole lot, um, but it's, it's a really important section of Scripture that communicates a lot of different things that are going on in the hearts of God's people during this time. And uh, we read this quote last week. I want to read it again. It kind of helps summarize for you what the Psalms of Ascent are. Uh, this is what we uh, uh, kind of summarize it as. The Psalms of Ascent consist of 15 psalms found 120, from 120 through 134. While there are different ideas about what the Ascent reference in this group um, is all about the most likely possibility is that these psalms were sung and prayed by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. They were traveling to the temple in celebration of the three festivals that the Hebrew people celebrated Passover, Pentecost, and the uh, Festival of Booths. No matter where they were, they would ascend toward Jerusalem because it was on the heights, but also because it was symbolically the spiritual high point where God dwelt with human beings. And so these these songs essentially were being sung by people that pilgrimed back to Jerusalem on pilgrimage and uh, sang these songs. And these songs, um, we don't go to Jerusalem uh, three times a year, uh, but we are disciples of Jesus who are following Jesus. And Jesus said when he called his disciples that I want you to come and follow me. And he says, I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. And so it's this really a picture of, of Maybe we're not going to Jerusalem, but we are on a journey with God. And that God says that, I want you to follow me. I want you to choose to journey with me. And as I journey, as I journey with you and you journey with me, I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. I'm going to be used. Um, I'm, I'm going to use you to go about my purposes and my kingdom. And so for us, as we look at these, these songs that are written, we may not physically be going to Jerusalem, but we spiritually are on a journey with God, just like God's people were back in the Psalms. And as they begin to wrestle through the different things that they're experiencing on this journey, we can look and go, well, I've, I've experienced that. And we can begin the process of actually seeing what relationship with God looks like, and not what relationship lo with God looks like, we can actually begin to see what does discipleship look like for us as we walk alongside each other as well. So there's so many different things that are going on in this section, and it's, and it's really, really powerful section, and last week was really beneficial to a lot of people, and I think this week's going to be important and impactful as well. Um, while I was up in men's retreat, 
In one of the small groups that I was in, there was a question that was asked. And it was a really challenging question. It caused me um, a lot of time to just self and reflect and to be honest um, with other guys about this question. Sometimes we can look at it and, and shy away from it. Uh, but we really leaned in together as a group. And this was the question that was asked. How much pain do you typically endure before you turn to God? How much pain do you typically endure before you turn to God? And that question caused me to self-reflect because um, I, I wish that I could tell you that 100% of the time that as I experience pain and difficulty that I immediately respond to God and I immediately turn to Him and yes, I have a quiet time every single day, but it's different than I have a quiet time every day with the Lord, but then when I go about my life, do I do the same thing that I did when I started at 6 a.m. in reading God's Word? Or do I not do that? And to be honest with you, my natural default is that when pain or difficulty comes, that I'm just going to endure it on my own. That I've got this. And maybe it's because all those years of doing two-a-days and football practice, like, that it was just grained into me, like, I can do this. I can do this. And, and I would argue that that in and of itself, um, having that spirit of I can do this, there's not, nothing wrong with that. Where it becomes wrong is when I begin to do everything in my own power over and over and over again apart from God. I don't think God invites us to have a mindset of I can do this apart from him. He actually invites me to start the journey of when I endure difficulty, when I experience pain, do I have to go and navigate and do some hard stuff? 100%. 100%. But God actually invites us that we, as we start that journey, that we would actually go to him and that he would be our strength. He would be our power. He would be the one that actually enables us to lean in and to do the hard things even when life gets difficult. And as we're going to see in Psalm 121, that's what the author, this writer of this psalm, is actually doing. Psalm 121, if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. This is what it says in verse 1. I lift my eyes to the mountains. And where does my help come from? My help comes from, what's it say? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will catch, he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. I want to break this up into two sections. And the first section is verse 1 and verse 2. The writer says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. And where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. Psalm 120, the week before, Psalm 120 almost communicates the start of the journey as they're heading back to Jerusalem. Psalm 121, it almost paints a picture that the journey's a little bit further along. They're now walking along the road. They're heading towards Jerusalem. And they begin to ask this question as they lift their eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Why look to the hills? Why asking these questions? Uh, why are there hills around? Why are there mountains around? Lots of really good questions. Lots of speculation. Here's a couple guesses. The first one is this. 
is in the midst of the journey, the writer asks, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? Why is that question being asked? The most popular answer that I appreciate is that as you pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, it was very different than how we journey today. When you journeyed back then, it was dangerous. It was dangerous. Why? There were roads, popular travel routes of how to get to city to city, but there was nobody that was actually regulating those routes to make them safe. There were no law enforcement in regards to these areas. And so oftentimes robbers, thieves would find particular places to rob people that were vulnerable, that weren't able to protect themselves in the midst of the journey. They most likely didn't have two feet of snow that they were navigating. Uh, okay, maybe there's only a foot out there. Um, but it was dangerous. And so in the midst of the journey, there is this process of the writer saying, you know, where's my help going to come from? Who's going to help me? And we know the answer is the Lord. But in addition to that, I look to the hills. And, and why do you look to the hills? There's speculation as to why the writer would write that. But one of the things that we have to remember is in the midst of pagan worship, pagan worship took place in the, does anybody know what it says in Scripture? In the high places, in the mountains. And so maybe this, this person that is journeying, and just like last week, they looked around and they see the lies of the people and the lies of what's happening in culture and society, and they ask the question, where is truth and where is peace? I'm longing for truth. I'm longing for peace. Now the traveler looks to the high mountains and realizes, man, not only am I in a dangerous place, but in addition to that, I look to the hills and I need help because I know what goes on in those hills. I know what the pagan worship looks like. I know what the the sexual acts of worship that go to the pagan gods, what's going on in there? Where do I go for help? Where do I go when I am experiencing pain? Where do I go when I have fear about the journey as I'm following and trusting God back to Jerusalem? The writer goes on to describe who this God is. Verse 2 that he is the maker of heaven and earth, that his foot won't slip, won't let your foot slip, that he will neither slumber nor sleep, that God is your shade, that he will keep you from harm, that while you're traveling, you will not break an ankle, that he is keeping tabs on you, that you won't die from heat exhaustion as you're going on the journey, that as you're fording the river, or navigating the wild animals that you won't be harmed. And then I realized God is the ultimate cheat code in the Oregon Trail game. <laughs> I played so much Oregon Trail growing up. I mean, I got kicked out of the school library. They're like, you need to go home, son. I'm like, I need to make it to Oregon. Um, that's what I thought about when I read this, right? but maybe there's more here. You're never going to forget that, are you? <laughs> maybe what is being said here is that God will neither, neither slumber nor sleep, that he's not like Baal. If you know the story of the pagan god Baal, he often slept and took naps. And in order for receive worship he would have to go and be woken up from him his slumber and what god is saying is i'm not like him 
I'm not like the other gods. I'm not like him. I'm not like the gods that you put your trust and your hope in. I am the God of the universe. I'm not like the other gods that people worship, that there's no other gods other than our God. I am the one that is worthy of worship. And God is letting his children know in the midst of the journey that they find themselves in, the fear that they may be navigating, that I am worthy of your worship and that I'm with you. What else? Notice some key words that keep popping up, and I'm going to need your help this morning. Verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. He who, what's that next word? Watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade of your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will, oh, curveball. God watches. He's also going to keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Let me tell you this. When God starts using the same word over and over and over and over again, he's trying to make a point. And the reason why he does that is because we are a stubborn people. And we need... I, you, we need to hear the same thing over and over and over and over again. Sometimes to get through our, our thick skull, or as the men's retreat would say, our knucklehead, because we're a bunch of knuckleheads. God is trying to say a message. What is this Hebrew word? Shamar. It means to take care, to protect as a sword bearer, to watch, guard, protect, take under custody, and exercise care that this is who God is for you, for us. And that God is a God who takes extreme delight in actually watching over you. Do you believe that this morning? And some of you say yes. And some of you are like, hmm. And the reason why is because more often than not, the people that are closest to you have not watched over you. They've not taken care of you. And so you look at that and you say, God, Heavenly Father, my own physical father didn't even watch over me, didn't take care of me, didn't walk beside me. How in the world could the God of the universe, I have no ability to even understand what that looks like. And yet you want me to trust him. Maybe at one point you actually trusted God. You actually were like, you know what? I'm going to trust him. But then pain hit. Life hit. And you begin to ask the question, God, if you love me, why did you allow that? How could you? I, I, I read Psalm 121. I read that, and I trusted that, and yet I experienced pain. And some of you, you've fallen on difficult times, and you've begun to ask the question, 
How could God really care about me? And does he even really care about all these things? Because I keep crying out to him and nothing's changing. I love what Eugene Peterson writes about whether or not we really can trust God, whether we want to trust God. Does God even care about the little things in my life? And I love what he says. He says, we know that God created the universe and has accomplished our eternal salvation. We know that. But oftentimes we can't believe that he condescends. I love that word. The God of the universe condescends to watch the soap opera of our daily trials and tribulations. So what do we do? We purchase our own remedies for that. When pain hits, do I go to God to work through my pain or do I look for other remedies? Do I look for other coping mechanisms? We look for other remedies. To ask him to deal with what troubles us each day is like asking a famous surgeon to put on iodine on a scratch. I love that picture. But God is a God that cares about it all. No, no matter how big or how small our hurt is, no how big or small of our ask, request of need of help is, he wants to watch over you. He delights to watch over you. And this is what I know, is that in my life, when I get to a point where I realize, man, I've got quite a bit of fear inside of me. I've got quite a bit of anxiety inside of me. I've got quite a bit of unknown inside of me. That oftentimes what happens is I look everywhere else to help navigate that fear but I don't look to God and the moment that I come to a place where I actually begin to look to God when I actually get to a point of surrender when I actually get to a point where I come to the end of myself and I fix my eyes on where my help comes from it comes from the Lord here's what I know my fear my anxiety the unknown all of the different things in my life when I look to God, those things begin to shrink. They begin to shrink. And I begin to be reminded over and over and again that I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in anxiety. I don't have to live in those places. I don't have to live that way because I have a God who watches over me. There's a God who watches over you. And this is where the yeah buts come in. Yeah but. What about my diagnosis? What about my tribulations? What about my hardship? What about my depression? What about my injustice? And the scenarios kind of begin to play out. Either God's a liar, the psalm isn't true. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe God's forgotten about me. I'll tell you this. I, um, I don't know the full answer of why bad things happen to good people. I can give you some partial answers. Honestly, they probably aren't going to satisfy But this is what I do know. 
is there's a God that, in spite of the pain, his word continually says over and over again that he watches over you, that he loves you. And there will come a day when all the injustice and all the pain, it will be finalized. It'll be finalized. Another Eugene Peterson quote says this, the promise of this psalm, both Hebrews and Christians have always read it this way, is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from God's purposes in us. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us as he watches over you. He's interceding for you. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. For through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as I go through the pain, and as I look to the hills, and I look for my help, I look for a God who loves me and is with me as I go through the pain, and I live in hope and belief that that is true no matter what I navigate. And the thing of it is, oftentimes, our mind or our heart knows and believes one thing, and then our mind and our heart believes another. And there's a war within us to really continue to walk in faith with God. And what do we do with that? And I love what N.T. Wright says. He says this, the only thing to do is to hold the spectacular promises in one hand and the messy reality in the other and praise God anyway. Praise God anyway. And to be honest with you, that's just the journey. That's part of the process of living and loving and trusting God in the midst of pain that we find ourselves in. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Now here's the thing. Remember when I talked about how God uses the same word over and over and over and over again to get through my thick skull and our thick skull? Remember when I talked about that? Here's what God also does. is He also has this amazing way of like, surprising me and you would think that I would like not be surprised anymore but the reality of it is I'm still getting surprised by God after all these years learning to still trust him and it happened again this week where I was like holy smokes God you're really trying to make a point with me right now 
You see, it was about three weeks ago on the outline of men's retreat, I got it kind of figured out on what I wanted us to talk about at men's retreat. And just so you know, pastors do lots of different ways to prepare for sermons. I do what they call the crock pot method. Low and slow, and it simmers for a long time. So what that means, like, what that means is there's a structure and an outline that gets finalized, and then there's slow working through it for a lot of months. And then the week of, you really nail it down. So three weeks ago, men's retreat. Got the outline figured out. This week, this last week, really started going, okay, I got to write the sermon. This sermon series, rough outline about five months ago. But the week of, really started diving into the sermon series, into the sermon specifically. And so for men's retreat, we started with Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take, what's that next word? Care of it. And we talked about what it means to work it and take care of it as in partnership with God and his creation. They were called to cultivate it, take care of it, be about the things that God wants us to be and to cultivate that and to protect it, take care of it. Well, I was like, I wonder what that word take care of it means in the Hebrew. Mind you, this is on Wednesday. You know what that Hebrew word is? Take care of it is? Shamar. The same exact word that's repeated over and over and over again in Psalm 121. I was like, oh, that's good. Well, then Wednesday night, I got to finish the sermon for Sunday before I leave. So 10 o'clock at night, I'm writing a sermon, get it done. Look up one, Psalm 121. I'm like, watches over you, watches over. Man, that's the same word. I wonder what Hebrew word that is. Oh, it's shamar. Two different sermons, same exact week. Same exact word. God's like, hey, I want you to pay attention. I watch over you. I watch over you. But not only do I watch over you, not only do I love you, not only am I with you in the journey, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Justin, Adam and Eve, my children, I'm inviting you to watch over my creation. I need you to partner with me in the things that I'm asking you to do with me. You need to be that for other people too. God's inviting you and I to be a people that look to God in the midst of our help in our time of need but also to look around and to ask ourselves this question. Who are the people that God is inviting me to watch over? Who are the people that God needs me to love on, to minister to, to walk beside, because they don't know that God is their help in time of need? I just want to tell you this story. One of our elders, Jim Coons, he serves on the AVL team. And it was about seven months ago, one of his teammates on the AVL team started to wander. Not coming to church, not serving when they're being scheduled, and he pursued him, checked in on him. And slowly but surely, 
You know how it goes. The text messages don't come back. You know what Jim did? He said, hey man, I don't want to be a bother, but I'm going to keep just checking in on you when I feel like the Lord is asking me to check in on you. Text message, phone calls. When he felt like the Lord was calling on him to slip a note underneath his door at his apartment, he did that. No response, no response, no response. For about four months. Then on December 7th, Jim texts me. He replied to one of my texts. I'm having coffee with him at 8 a.m. Please pray that I have the wisdom to ask the right questions without upsetting him. He said, everything I touch seems to turn to dust. What's funny is I had a meeting at 8.30. I didn't know it was at the same coffee shop. And I walk in and in the corner, Jim's hanging out with this guy, talking to him. And I went over to my corner and I prayed again. And Jim texts me after he was done and said, I invited him to breakfast. I don't know if he's going to come. Guess what? He showed up. He invited him to service. He showed up. Invited him to Christmas Eve. He showed up. And as I came out here on Thursday evening to get ready for men's retreat, he was here with the AVL team and he's getting back in the game and serving and being part of the church. What is that? It's watching over people. Because we know that God watches over us. So as we get ready for communion this morning, I want to invite you just to ask this question. What do you got to let go of? What is the fear you need to let go of knowing that God watches over you? And here's the second one. Who do you need to pursue who is straying because they don't believe that God's with them? They've given up. Are you willing to be that, that, that person? Are you willing to be Jesus' hands and feet? As we go into communion, I want to invite you just to spend time praying over those two things. Be praying over that person. Who is that person that God's saying, I need you to go watch over him. I need you to chase after him. I need you to pursue him or her. And let's spend some time together and praying together and we'll have communion here together. If you did not receive the elements as you came in, raise your hand and these amazing servants would love to serve you the elements and we'll take communion together as a family. And keep that hand raised as they come by. And we'll make sure that we get communion to you this morning. Let's pray.